I've taught many times that if something is repeated in Scripture, God wants us to hear it. That if, if something is, is mentioned more than once, God is sort of grabbing us. He's sort of grabbing onto us and kind of shaking us and saying, I want you to hear this. And so a passage in 2 Kings 20 is also found in 2 Chronicles 32. It's also found in Isaiah 38. And it says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And that was the extent of his prayer. You know what Jesus teaches about prayer? He says, you know, you don't have to go on rambling. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to use a lot of words. Jesus teaching about prayer says to us, in effect, it doesn't have to be long. And boy, you look at Hezekiah's prayer, and that was the extent of it. That was it right there. And then what's the result of that prayer? Verse 4, Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now, if you know anything about the Assyrians, there was a time when they were some of the most ruthless, bloodthirsty, and wicked people on the face of God's earth. And so, God is saying to Isaiah, He says, go and give Hezekiah this message. And then Hezekiah responds. And we see how God is moved by prayer, don't we, church? God is moved by prayer, a prayer that says, no... I'm going to extend his life, you know. And of course, if you're Isaiah, I always wonder if this was kind of awkward for Isaiah, because he's he's trying to he's trying to go on his way. He's delivered some news that that he wasn't probably too terribly excited about delivering in the first place. And then God says, "No, go back. I've got a new message for you to deliver." It's one of those examples where God is moved by the prayers of His people. If we think of God as being some kind of conniving puppet master that just uh, is just pulling the strings and watching us do our thing, it's not like that at all. From the early pages of Scripture, God shows us that He gives us free will. 
that He gives us freedom to make choices. And that He honors our choices. We've heard the Gospel preached this morning in Chad's meditation on the table. We've heard it echoed in Scotty's prayer this morning. And that, you know, there is no way to God except through Jesus Christ, isn't there, church? That He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. From John's Gospel. And then as Chad laid out for us this morning as we gathered around the table, that, you know, things change when you come in contact with Jesus, doesn't it, Chad? Things change when you have an encounter with the Savior. The Savior of the world. And Chad is 100% spot on that all those sacrifices, uh, the blood of bulls and rams and all the things that could have been sacrificed over the years, they were for the benefit of the people doing the sacrificing. That there was a physical reminder of what was going on. That there was a physical reminder of their sin. But we know, because the Hebrews writer tells us, that all of that, all of that blood wasn't sufficient to really atone for sins. That the only blood that could atone for sins was the blood of the most perfect lamb. And God sent that lamb in the form of Jesus Christ. What an amazing sacrifice it is. Chad and I were talking yesterday while we were out. Uh, I, think, I think you were using my pickaxe, weren't you, Chad? Okay, quick story. The call came for a pickaxe. Scotty said, I got one in my truck. I said, I got one over my storage room. You know, Scotty's like, oh, I got one. That's okay. Chad says, no, Greg, you go get yours. What I heard him say is, Greg, I don't think you've got a pickaxe. (laughs) Now apparently, when I came around the corner of the building, I was strutting and beaming with my pickaxe. Look here, buddy. So yes, they they put my pickaxe to use. Uh, I carried it to them and I carried it back to the storage building, but they put my pickaxe to good use. (laughs) Oh, y'all are ruthless. A bunch of Assyrians in the house of the Lord this morning. No, yeah, yeah, then they made fun of my, because my pickaxe was kind of small and then my shovel was kind of small, so... I'm, I'm not a big man, so I don't need big tools, okay? Anyway, but somewhere along in there where we're, we're working and then we're, we're having a discussion about, you know, raising kids. And so, and, and the, the statement was made that you get to the point and you just say, God, they're yours now. You know, God, they're yours. I've done all I can do. And then Chad made the comment. He said, he, after all, he loves them more than we do. That's, those are true words right there. Think about that. As much as we can possibly love our children, 
God loves them more. Because God loves us more. And that is what we need to grasp this morning, church. That God loves us enough that He would send His Son to die a criminal's death. An embarrassing death on a cross. I'm sure we all know at some point what it's like to be accused of something we didn't do. Now, we also know what it's like to get away with stuff that we did. Yeah, there's truth there too, isn't there, church family? There's stuff that we do that never gets found out, we never get caught, never sees the light of day. And we're grateful for that. But then there's that stuff that we do that we or we get accused of doing that we really didn't do. Maybe we did something, but we didn't, it wasn't as bad as what maybe someone else thought it was. Imagine Jesus willing to lay down his life. And die a criminal's death when he had done absolutely nothing wrong. And he did it for us. Because love covers sin. And the blood of Jesus covers all. In New Testament Scripture, in the Gospel of John... Chapter 11. Jesus has been summoned. He's been been told that his dear friend Lazarus uh, is sick. Jesus decides not to go right away. This puzzles Lazarus' sisters and some of the Jews who were there to mourn because Lazarus dies as a result of, of his illness. And so in verse 17 of John 11, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And right there, that confession, that's all we ask when someone wants to become a child of God. All we ask is do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And upon that same confession, yes, that's what I believe. Then we make the waters of baptism available to them. 
And if we read on, we find that, yes, first it was Martha that said, man, only if you'd gotten here quicker. And then Mary says the same thing. And then even the Jews who were there to mourn Lazarus' passing say the same thing. And I look at this and I'm just always marveling at how people limit the power of Jesus. They knew that Jesus had power over sickness. They were not willing to acknowledge that he had power over death. Well, church family, if he doesn't have power over death, we're in a mess of trouble, aren't we? (laughs) Because he walked out of that tomb. When we take communion every Sunday morning, we observe the Lord's Supper, it's not for a Savior who's dead. It's for a Savior who is alive. And so, what a beautiful thing it is. But shame on us if we ever limit the power of Jesus. Because that story is right there in Scripture to remind us. And again, it didn't happen once, it didn't happen twice, three times in John 11. We see people say, if only Jesus had gotten here sooner, Lazarus would still be alive. Of course, Jesus is thinking, well, you think healing sick people is something. Wait till for what you're about to see. And it's this precursor of his own coming back to life after death because we've already read it that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days right church long enough that when he's ready to have them roll the stone away and, and you know that, that his sister says oh lord he's been in there four days like you know, uh, you know he ain't going to be smelling too good you know you, know, you should have gotten here sooner And then Jesus calls for Lazarus to come out. And there he is. Walking out of that tomb. The same thing Jesus would do a very short time later. And Jesus gives those instructions. Take the grave clothes off of him. And that is exactly what happens to us when we become children of God. The grave clothes are stripped off of us. And we get to be free. He says, take the grave clothes off of him and let him go free. And that's exactly what we get to experience when we become children of God. That we are children of the God who spoke this universe into existence and has power over all things. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around because we know what it's like to be able to do certain things. Some people can teach. Some people can do landscaping. Some people can build things and fabricate things. Some people are great at fixing things. Some people are great at loving and encouraging people. 
think God gives the body of Christ all these gifts and then we use them in conjunction with one another as a collective body of people. What a beautiful thing it is. But we know that in our lives we have, at least we feel like we do, we have power over certain things. And then we come to realize that there's lots of things, most things, we have no power over. And if we're wise about that, we use that realization to lean into our faith and to say, God, you have power over all things. You have control over all things. And then we let go of that struggle between us and God. That struggle of us trying to maintain maintain control and power. And we realize that we just have to let go of it all and give it to God and say, God, your spirit is within me. Please let him guide me. So let's not be a people who limit God's power in anything, church. Let's be people who know that we are loved more than we have the capacity to love someone else. Let's be people who face life boldly knowing that if we are children of God that there is nothing, nothing that can ultimately hurt us because we to have power over death through Jesus Christ. If you're with us this morning and you need to respond once and for all, that you've heard the gospel message but you've never yet said, I'm ready to become a child of God, then we offer the invitation, let it be right now. Become a child of God. Conquer death with Jesus and change your life forever, for all eternity. I kid you not. And if you're with us this morning and there's some other need, other other reason that you need to respond, then we invite you to do so, that we can pray with you about that. Let's stand and let's sing.